When Paul wrote a letter, it would have been delivered, and he tells us in the letter who delivered it as well, Epaphroditus. But it would have been delivered and then just received in the church and read out. That would have been it. That would have been it. So maybe next Sunday we just read Paul's letter, right? What else do you want to read? What else is good enough? What else is better? I know you really want to. That's fine. All right, we're going to start at verse 10 as we conclude. For those who are coming in late or joining us now, uh, this has been a part of an ongoing story throughout these four chapters. So there are things that are related to other themes that have been going on. But Paul is just now concluding and really letting the church know how much they and they alone supported him in his ministry when no one else did. So there's a very special place for the Philippians. Paul says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. So there's obviously a bit of a tension there. Indeed, you were concerned for me, and, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire that your gifts, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and I have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all of God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who share with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. <laughs> the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And we give thanks for God's word here. This final section, as I was reflecting and thinking and praying through it and studying it, felt like it was like a mini, like a car, a mini, with a Ferrari engine inside it. Like, it, it, it's just the, the ending of a letter, but it's so packed full of power and, and so much to say and so encouraging to the Philippian church who've obviously been struggling with things like pride and disunity and things like this. And it's full of stuff that we would do well to wrestle with as well in our own lives, isn't it? It should be obvious to us what these things are. Now, there are two lots of repeated words. Did you notice what they are? Actually, I'm not even sure if they're in, this, in the NIV because I studied, I should have checked. Oh, no, they are, yeah, uh, they are. Um, um, 
in the, in the ESV, there are two repeated words, darn it, translations. The word need is repeated twice. Did you see? And the word learned is repeated twice. Paul knows what it is to be in need. They recognized his need. So Paul is learning and teaching the church to learn contentment in whatever circumstance he finds himself in. So what, what, what's the point of this though? It's so that the praise of God is never ever nullified or silenced because of our circumstances. Right. Is there anybody here who has ever gone hungry for a systemically long period of time? Like hunger. Like without. This is really serious survival stuff that Paul is talking about. I wonder how many of us have learned to be content in a hunger that we've never faced. Because we jolly well know how grumpy we all get before dinner, right? That's not what Paul is talking about. Hurry up with the dinner. He's not saying that. He's talking about long-term, systemic lack of provision. And he says, I've learned to be content. <laughs> Wow, what would it take for us to learn this kind of contentment? What do you think? Any answers? Answers on a postcard. Anyone? What about if you've never had uh, this lack and, and you have everything you've ever wanted and are you content <laughs> or are you discontented? Human beings are restless creatures, right? We have nothing and we complain and grumble, right? We have everything and we want more so we complain and grumble, right? So what's that about? What's wrong with us? <laughs> Sin. We're just wired for something that is contrary, right? Whatever it is I've got, I don't want, I want this. Steve's probably wishing he had my shirt. I'm wishing I had his socks. It's like we're just never satisfied, right? But Paul is right to say that even the support of money and provisions isn't even the point. It's not the point. What you have or what you don't have isn't the point at all. They never say to him, if you don't say or do what we want, we'll withdraw our support. They never say that. They just provide support. They just know that he's about the ministry of the gospel. They ne there's no hint of coercion or manipulation. If you don't do what we say, then I will do this, this, and this to make you do what we want you to do. They don't do this at all, and they could because Philippi was a proud city. Wealthy city, well-to-do, like Taunton, in many ways. But there's no hint that they are manipulative. The trouble is, money always has a way of finding trouble, doesn't it, church? Money always has a way of making trouble. Can I just ask a simple question here? Is there anyone here who has too much money? See me afterwards, thank you. I remember, I remember speaking into my phone. I wanted to see what Google, how Google defined idolatry. So I said, Google, search for idolatry. Guess what came up? literally said, the dollar tree. The dollar tree. 
the love of money may be the root of all this evil, but evil is the root of all idolatry. And I learned something then as well, that we're just hardwired this way as people. And the attitude here is simple. Paul is trying to show us and is showing us. If you're going to give support to someone, financially, morally, in friendship, whatever it might be, relationship, if you're going to give support to someone, do it. And don't complain. Give. And he says later in the New Testament in James, do it while you're laughing hysterically. Go on. Give. And, I, and here's the challenge. Here's the challenge, church. See if you can outgive God's generosity to you. Go on. Go on. I dare you. Outgive God and laugh hysterically while you fail at doing it. And God knows that. But there's a twist with what Paul is doing. Paul's attitude here is sublime wisdom for us, right? Paul does not use the world's idea of contentment or success. How, how do you define contentment? What would make you content? How do you find, define success? What is success to you? But he doesn't use the world's ways of measurement to define the spiritual life. Thank God. Thank God. Because the spiritual life is an inner reality, and Paul has shown us that transcends all other circumstances. It has to. It has to be that way. And this is why I've got a problem with the prosperity gospel. It's not a gospel. Is that it constantly misquotes verses like verse 13. Verse 13 isn't just a fridge magnet, you know, it's a good fridge magnet, but it's not just a fridge magnet. It says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, all things, whatever I want. That's not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, I can be in great need and I can be in great plenty. I can do all of these things. I'm content in all of these ways through Christ who strengthens me. That is the goal of the spiritual life. The contentment found in your relationship with the triune God. Nothing less than that. Nothing less than that relationship. Paul knows who he is. The trouble is with just quoting, I can do all this through Christ who strengthens me. It fails to understand verses 11 and 12 just before it. But church, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. What is it you're facing now? What need, what lack? What abundance, what plenty? How to give it away, maybe? That's a, that's a challenge to any of us. How do we give away the stuff that God's given us to be a blessing in the nations and still be content and never, ever, five years down the road, say, I gave you a gift. And I want you to do this with it. If you're going to give, give. That's the principle. It's a great principle, isn't it? Because it stops us falling into the dollar tree trap. <laughs> so Paul is living this Christian truth that independence from circumstances is where we find Christ. And one thing we have to learn through Christ is the reality of spiritual warfare. And I'm going to share a story from my time in Zimbabwe when I was learning that God was calling us to mission with YWAM. Is there anybody, any of our friends from Africa here? I'm just looking upstairs. No, not yet. Okay, good. I can get away with this. 
right? There was a team of 26 of us, and Rachel and I had been seconded to a particular hut in the, in the bush outside of Harare, the capital, and it was grim. It was very, very, like literally dirt poor place, and we were supporting the church there for two weeks. And we had Samuel, who was 18 months, Abigail, who was four, Andrew, who was five, and they, we were part of a team of 26 people. That first night, the, the owner of the, the, the hut that, uh, that we were staying in tried to smash down the door and come into the room absolutely blind drunk. We had no idea, and we were already in our sleeping bags at this point. It was quite terrifying, actually. The only good thing was, when he banged on the door, all of the spiders scattered. So that was good. And there were some hideously funny colored ones there as well, orange and sort of, I don't know, hues of electric blue and things like this. Anyway, we moved. So I went with the single guys for the rest of the time there. Rachel went with the single women, which stayed in the church sanctuary uh, with three children. <laughs> That'll teach them. The first night that, we were, that Rachel was there, Samuel was screaming with an ungodly scream that said something else is going on here, Right? like screaming, and Rachel couldn't settle him. And you know, what, you know what single women are like, you've never had kids, you know, they're kind of a bit sensitive, should we say, a bit delicate. They woke up, <laughs> almost complained, I'd say. You could see it in their eyes, probably. But Rachel's got this crying baby, and something is wrong. And eventually the lights come on at the back of the church because the pastor stayed behind the wall that was behind the pulpit. The lights came on, and this big black pastor walked out, marching out down the church. Rachel's down in the corner, and he marches down, and he grabs Samuel from Rachel's arms, swipes him away, holds him tight. Rachel's like... And he prayed in Shona, which is the dialect of Zimbabwe, a dialect of Zimbabwe, and in English. And he prayed a spiritual warfare prayer because he knew something was up. In the, within the principalities and powers, there was something going on. And he prayed and prayed and prayed, and Samuel went, fell asleep. And do you know what this pastor said? This is the biggest lesson I've ever learned, and I wasn't even there. Rachel tells it to me. And so do the single women who've never had kids, ever. They've not married. They're not, done. They're not going there. But he said to Rachel, you white people. You need to learn to fight. And that was my awakening moment to the principalities and powers. Because what was going on with Samuel was not just a crying baby. You need to learn to fight. And that's what Paul is saying in this passage. You can do everything through Christ who strengthens you in need. Fight in plenty. You still have to fight. Why? Because what's the worst thing in the world? Just becoming lukewarm in your plentitude. You have to fight. And you have to be brave with it. So this reminded me, all of this, reminded me of a great line by, uh, you may or may not have heard of this great Christian writer from a century or so ago called Robert Murray Machane. He said this, and it should come up on the screen. If I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. 
Yet distance makes no difference. Christ is praying for me. And you can say the same as well. Distance, time, material matter, the spiritual world, heaven, earth, whatever. Christ is praying. Hebrews tells us he's our intercessory high priest. As if he's in the next room. Because, church, our real need is Christ. That's it. That's what, that's what the end of Philippians is telling us. Our real need is Christ. It's why Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from where? The mouth of God. One of my favorite prophets. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you how I work out which one is my favorite. Whichever prophet I'm reading at the time. And I was reading Amos. And Amos is known as the thunderous prophet of justice. He's like, a, his oracles open as though a lion is roaring out from Zion. As if he's calling the nations, as well as Israel and Judah, to full repentance. And so the lion roars and says this, The days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. Not a famine of bread. No, no, no. Look at the terror of this church, nor a thirst for water, but on hearing the words of the Lord. Can you imagine a world where we had no word of God? How dark it would be. That's why Jesus calls us salt and light. We're preserving and we're banishing darkness just by existing as people who follow Christ. The trouble with the gospel of Jesus Christ for us sinners is very troubling. Here's why. Famous American pastor, I've never quoted this guy before as well, but he's, uh, he's on the money with this. John MacArthur said, The gospel does not promise the sinner what the sinner wants. <laughs> it promises what the sinner does not want. And that is righteousness, holiness, forgiveness, heaven, and most of all, Christ. So, dearly beloved church, let me ask you a question here this morning. Why are you here today? You can't get away with the answer, I just go to church. <laughs> Who wants that? Here lies Richard Matcham, finally kaput, and he just went to church. No, that's naff. Who wants that? No. Why are you here today, though? Are you here for this church? Are you here for this church more than Scripture? Are you here for the Scriptures more than Christ? Why are you here? The lion roars from Zion. One of the greatest early church fathers, St. Jerome from the 4th century, said, Ignorance of Christ is ignorance of the Scriptures. And so it's all pointing to Christ. And this is the lesson that Paul is showing us in the end of this letter. And so that's why he writes in verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to, this is the key, his what? unfathomable, unsearchable, eternal riches in glory in Christ Jesus. 
Now try and outgive God with what he's given you. You can't do it. Just think how much God is lavishing on his people at this point. The scriptures point to Christ, but it is not the scriptures that make the church. It is Christ. The scriptures do not even make a Christian. It is Christ. And the gospel of Christ, as P.T. Forsyth says, the infinite wonder of it, we have got to learn that. There's that word learn again. The infinite wonder, we've got to learn that. So is that why you're here? Maybe you could ask your friends, is that why they're not here? (laughs) Why are you not here? We must never make our life about the church. Church. It's a secondary matter. The church only exists because of the gospel that gives rise to the church. The church isn't the thing. It's a vehicle that God is using on the world. That's why most of us are here, I would say, because we want to hear, we want to hear the word of God. We want to hear it proclaimed. We do not want to live in times when there is a famine of the word of God. We don't want to be alive in the days that Amos spoke about. We want to hear and live as he's called us to. And yet all around the world, men and women are gorging themselves on bread And they don't know that they're starving for the bread of life. They're dying of thirst and they don't know that they are thirsty for the waters of life. So when we gather and sing and chat and pray and sing and chat and snooze. Anyone? And sing and chat and pray and read scripture. What we're really saying to our spirit is we want Jesus and nothing more. That's what we have come for. Therefore, church, give me Jesus or I am out of here. That's got to be the red line in your life. Give me Christ or I'm off. One of my, as I just mentioned, P.T. Forsyth, he says, if I refuse God's word, In this way, I derange my own soul. (laughs) Wow. If I refuse God's living scriptures, I derange my own soul. In other words, I go mad. I become like a well-fed human being, gorging on material things and surrounding myself with material luxuries. But I'm deranged in my heart for lack of Christ. I'm going to finish now with a, <laughs> a quote. One of my guilty pleasures is, shall I say? Oh, we've all got them. Stop it. Stop it. One of my guilty pleasures is I loved watching UFC mixed martial arts boxing on YouTube. I know. I love it. Anyway, there's a scouser. There's a, a lad from Liverpool called Paddy, Paddy the Baddy Pimblet. He said this after one of his victories. He said, Lions do not concern themselves with the opinions of sheep. 
And that struck a chord with me. When we have Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, we are his sheep for sure. But when we speak the truth to the world, we are as lions. And lions do not... I mean, have you asked a lion if he's concerned with the opinions of a sheep? No. Christ has called us by command of his holy love, all of us, to obedience to the resurrected Christ. That's it. That's it. And this is an obedience of joy. And joy is what Philippians is about. And I'm so glad that joy was singing on the last day of our Philippians series as well. This is God's word for us. Let us then be doers of the word and not hearers only. As verse 20 says, To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.